A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Welcome to Savvy Business, Life Unscripted, with your host, Christina Rivera, where our guests share their wisdom and valuable business tips, empowering our audience to expand their personal potential. Hi, Dr. Fierce Donacheri. Welcome to Savvy Broadcasting Life Unscripted. I hope I didn't screw up your name too much, uh, but I'm so grateful to have you here today. You're going to talk about a very important topic we've not hit on, but it's so, so important. We've had a slew of doctors join us on our on our podcast here, as well as healthcare professionals, but you are talking about disrupting the sick care system, which is often how our healthcare system operates with a different model that can uh, bring it, revolutionize it to a healthcare system, an actual healthcare system that um, is in healing mode, not just dealing with people who have now gotten sick and what do we do? So uh, before we go there, I'd love for you to share just a teeny bit about your background and what brought you to writing your book. Sure, sure. It's a pleasure to be here and talking to your audience. I love to get their feedback about the book. But I'm a I'm a surgeon scientist. I was um, trained uh, at different universities, including one at UT Southwestern in Texas, where you are. Um, And uh, in the uh, beginning, I came out with the concept of uh, uh, combining two fields: uh, field of uh, part of the urology and gynecology. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was, I called them my first startup uh, because it's really, to me, uh, uh, this expanding field of women with female pelvic floor disorders. They were looking mm-hmm. for basically solutions, and there was a turf battle between urology and gynecology. A simple concept was, why don't we join forces together? Because patients don't care what ologists you go to. Uh, mm-hmm. They want a competent doctor to take care of them. So. I came to Cleveland Clinic where I set up the first fellowship program in that field and uh, called Female Pelvic Medicine Reconstructive Surgery. That took off, became very popular, became a board certification between urology and gynecology. So I'm double board certified Mm. in urology and female pelvic medicine reconstructive surgery. Mm. The reason I mentioned that uh, in addition to being, I call call it my first startup, uh, uh, was uh, kind of contributed to me becoming a recognized leader in the academia and the academic medicine. So I was offered a number of chairmanship positions around the country, became chair of a couple of departments. The last one was at Case Western Reserve University in Northeast Ohio, 
Mm-hmm. And uh, again, the urology program became very successful. So that got the attention of the board or that system. They put me on the board mm-hmm. of uh, that system, which was about 11, 12 hospitals at that point. It was going through this consolidation of the hospitals, about $3 billion a year revenue. Mm-hmm. And it was during that uh, serving on the board was my eyes opened up to really to the business of uh, sick care. Uh, mm-hmm. Because when we were sitting at the board meeting, um, uh, you know, any new initiative will come out, whether we're going to go and buy this a small community hospital or that practice or this new equipment. All my attention was on how is this going to affect the patient care? How is this going to affect the training of the residents and fellows? Mm-hmm. The rest of the board who were the uh, you know, CEO of the key bank, CEO of the Sherwin Williams, you know, business owners, they were looking at the bottom line. So how is this going to affect our gross profit, you know, and so forth. Mm-hmm. So it became very apparent to me that I needed more kind of information and insight. I became very interested in finding out why the hospitals have turned from a basically charity institutions to this financial institutions or why we have the most expensive healthcare system in the world uh, is we are spending three to five hundred percent more than our european and japanese partners and our quality rankings are far worse than that mm. so we are paying so much for a product or service and we are getting less of a service so uh, I went to a, a business school to really focus as a scientist on digging out to the sources of this because there was a lot of rhetorics out there. As you know, it's a very hot topic. Yeah. And <laughs> I spent uh, really the two years digging into the depth of, again, how the hospitals were born, why we didn't pick up the uh, single-payer system like most Europeans did, you know, and mm-hmm. are there other solutions around the world that we can copy and adapt? And mm-hmm. out of that, I came up with the conclusions, again, as a scientist that was studying this, with what the root causes of the problems are and what the solutions are, uh, which is, uh, you know, I'll be able to explain and it's written in the book. So that is a little bit longer than what you wanted the background for me. No, no, it's an awesome start to our conversation here. um, Because often I've, you know, throughout the years had certain issues, healthcare come up. And, you know, when I used to have an HMO, I'd have to go get my primary care physician to look at it and say, yes, you can go to the specialist and then go to the specialist and all the costs accrued there. And I'd be like, wow, can we just cut out these middle guys and just go to a doctor? And I recall my general practitioner saying to me, he came into medicine because he wanted to heal. But he said, I spend most of my time just filling out paperwork and I hate it. And I said, wow, why, how did we get here? So you're starting to see solutions. And what I thought was very interesting, and there was a quote here that said, um, where did I see it? Uh, We have built a system specialized for sick care, and yet we expect results of health care. But you have a unique uh, approach in your book where you'll use the infrastructure we have and kind of integrate it with virtual care, which I thought was really interesting virtual care and wellness programs. And I thought, gee, what would that look like? Can you, can you go a little bit into that? Sure. So in order to understand this, let me explain mm-hmm. to you uh, kind of the root causes. If, okay. uh, if you go back 100 years ago, uh, we, uh, the number one cause of death was infectious diseases. Number two was cardiovascular cancer trauma. Mm-hmm. So if you remember around the World War One, before World War One, we're coming out as a society, you know, post-industrial uh, revolution, uh, 
and we are producing things and so forth. So, and um, we put our efforts in finding out how we can tackle these causes of death, right? Mm -hmm. So infectious diseases become a very, uh, some of the earlier hospitals become uh, public health. And we realized soon the way to tackle the uh, infectious diseases is to have clean water, clean food, vaccination, you know, all the sanitary thing that we discovered because we discovered the, the bacteriology and, you know, how if you leave the food out, it's going to get bad and it's not because the gods have attacked it, you know, the worms <laughs> yeah. are... So with that, uh, we really dropped the uh, infectious disease as number one cause of death from there. You know, we eradicated the infectious disease as a population level. Mm -hmm. Then over the past 70, 80 years, we spent our attention on figuring out what is it that causes the cardiovascular disease, cancer, trauma. Again, on trauma, we uh, found out that if we do some safety things, if we wear seatbelt, helmets, and so forth, we can reduce the mortality. Cardiovascular, we discovered, is a high cholesterol, obesity, you know, all that mm -hmm. stuff that we all know. The cancer, you know, in female is the cervical cancer. We do the pap smear in men mm -hmm. do a PSA for. So we collected a lot of information about what are the diseases that affects us. You know, mm -hmm. if you don't die from accident, if you don't die from a infectious disease in the childhood during the pregnancy, and you live, you mm -hmm. know, 40, 50, 60 years, uh, you know, more than that, because the life expectancy back then was only about 40, 50 years. Mm -hmm. So we grow to be 60, 70, 80s, and then we deal with this, uh, you know, cardiovascular cancer, musculoskeletal, you know, joint pains and all that. During this process of discovery that we are basically arm wrestling with mother nature to discover its, uh, its secrets, we have built uh, businesses that benefit from delivering the services that we call the sick care system. And those are the hospitals. The reality is, that this healthcare in the U.S. is delivered through 5,000 hospitals that are financial institutions. Wow. And that was the first discovery I had. You know, again, mm -hmm. I was successful and, you know, my boss takes me out to dinner to see what's my next ambition. Would I want to be a CEO or dean of medical school? And I said, no, I have a conflict. I think we're in the business of sick care. And he says, what do you mean? I said, I'm a very good scientist. I get funding from NIH. Tomorrow, if I go and discover a potion, that I can give to all people in Northeast Ohio, they all become healthy, mm -hmm. not to come to the hospital, you'll go bankrupt, right? And he says, yes. I said, so we are in the business of sick care. The, the point of this, we have built business as institutions called hospitals that they benefit from delivering the sick care service. But at the same time, and this is, I think, triggered your interest, we have discovered a lot of data and scientific information, what are the risk factors for these? What are the risk factors for cardiovascular, for cancer, for Alzheimer's disease, mental health, all that stuff? Mm -hmm. However, we don't have an institution. We don't have a financial institution in a, in a capitalistic society that would benefit from basically working on those risk mitigations and eliminating the chronic conditions. Mm -hmm. Let me give you two examples to open this up. Um, the, with two other industry or two other things that we have dealt with over the past hundred years. One is flying, one is fire. Mm -hmm. The very first flight took place in 1903. So we've been flying now 118 years. Mm -hmm. um, and um, during this time, 
we have developed the safest mode of transportation throughout the whole life of human, right? Mm-hmm. The donkeys, the donkeys and the cars, animals and the cars kill more people on the ground than and their and the reason we've done that, and that's the concept of the bow tie. Right? That's why the company is called bow tie. Mm. The bow tie is a really risk mitigation concept. The nut of the bow tie is the event uh, you want to prevent. Mm-hmm. So the left side, if you're looking at me, left side of the bow tie is the things you can do to prevent this. Yeah. The right side of the bow tie is the thing you do after the event has happened. Mm-hmm. So if you compare these three industries, let's say airlines, the entire airline industry's effort is on the left side because it has been unacceptable to airline industry and the users of airline to prevent an airline crash by catching the fire at 30,000 feet elevation, <laughs> yeah. right? That's why the entire industry's effort is on risk mitigation of that event. That's why mm-hmm. the airline is filled, aerodynamics filled with pre-flight checklists. One after another, another, and and we saw that in the recent uh, snowstorm. I was flying mm-hmm. from Ohio to Phoenix. The pilot came in and said, "No, I cannot because you know it's a risk, right?" Yeah. I yeah. mean, he could have taken. The other one is the fire. Over when since graduated coming from caves to living in the structures, we learned fire is a risk. We mm-hmm. have learned and adapted our lifestyle to preventing the fire. We have. Uh, smoke detectors. We teach our kids, you know, how to prevent fire, how to escape fire. We have fire extinguishers. Every building has to be certified. And that's why Sears Towers and uh, Empire States and all these beautiful buildings have stood for decades without the fire. Mm-hmm. In the sick care, however, our entire effort has been on the right side of the bow tie because there are hospitals who benefit from offering mm-hmm. uh, bariatric surgery for obesity offering therapies for, you know, X, Y, Z. You see, so if there is a, and in a capitalistic society, when there is an institution, organization, business that could mm-hmm. go and create a model that I could benefit from basically expanding that, mm-hmm. that model takes off, right? Is yeah. You've seen that over the past 30, 40 years. Yeah. Can I, Electrical- you, can, can I stop you real quick? I'm curious yeah. because uh, we've had hospitals since the beginning of time. We've actually you know, always kind of operated as a business structure in this, in this country, you know, capitalist, but um, hospitals, I feel until recently were more service oriented. So what changed to make it more dollar oriented? Cause it, as be- you said, be- yeah. Be- beautiful question. Beautiful mm-hmm. question. Because it goes through the history of the hospitals. That's why, again, I went to business school to study wow. this. You're very correct. The hospitals were charity houses. Because at that time, we didn't know, let's go to the 19th century, early 20th century. We didn't have all these tools. You know, the hospitals were a place where people would recover. As the surgery, blood transfusion, anesthesia, MRIs became available, they were housed in the hospitals. So you go there for diagnosis and, you know, treatment. Mm -hmm. However, because of the other element that, again, I've explained in the book, and that is called the third-party payer. After World War II, the insurance company, I mean, the employers became payers for the insurance, uh, for the healthcare, and the federal government after 65 became the, um, the payer for, you know, elderly and, you know, poor mm-hmm. and so forth through Medicaid. The entrance of the third party has separated the consumer of healthcare from being a customer. Mm-hmm. Therefore, therefore, there is this moral hazard 
uh, that basically the, when the consumer is the only industry in the world that when you go to a hospital, you sign on a white sheet of paper, I'm responsible for all the charges you give me. Mm. And that's why the, uh, the hospital bills or the balance bills or the medical bills is the number one cause of personal bankruptcies in this country. Mm. 100 million Americans have over $140 billion debt. Wow. Can I ask what you, is, could we yeah. could we resolve this if we got rid of the yes. third party system? Yes. We could. Uh, I'll tell I'll tell you why what okay. the solution is. Yes. Is, I love solutions. So what this what this has done has basically created a provider of a service, hospitals, mm-hmm. without any responsibility to the prices they generate. Mm-hmm. So that's why I call it sick care. The hospitals are financial institutions who benefit financially from people being sick. Mm. The more obesity there is, the more cardiac, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. So, and there is no, and federal government keeps paying them through the Medicare, <laughs> the em, em, employers pay them through the, so, so mm. there is no real, real market, free market based level accountability to the hospitals. The hospitals mm. cannot control their costs. They keep building and building and building and building, right? Mm-hmm. And it's the only service provider, only seller, who never the buyer asks him, why are you doing this? That's why the number one discovery I had during that study was 50%, 5-0. And these are not my research. These are independent research of the services that are provided by the existing hospital system is a waste. Waste means the services that makes money for the hospitals do not create any health outcome for the user. Because we as doctors, we do whatever the, uh, whatever we want to do. No one asks me, why are you ordering that surgery? Why are you ordering that MRI? Show me the results. You have to be responsible for the outcome, not just... It's like we have a mechanic that you take mm-hmm. your car with and yeah. you say to the mechanic, do whatever I'm signing on a white sheet of paper, I'll pay whatever you do onto my car. Mm-hmm. Can you imagine that model? No. That's why the... <laughs> We have, because of this third-party payer, we have fed the sources of the waste. Mm. So this is the discovery, again, I explained in the book. I said the reason the system has gotten so expensive is, one, we have 50% is the waste. The reason the waste exists perpetually keeps being added on, there are three major uh, misalignments. The first misalignment is, over the past, and this is answered to your question, when the 60s and 70s, the hospitals saw they cannot catch up with their cost, they started the process of buying the doctors, employing the doctors. Doctors before then were independent. Currently now, more than 70% of the doctors in the U.S., in mar- some markets are 80-90%, they are uh, employed by the hospitals. Mm. And what that does, and that's why when I was on the board, my eyes opened up. Mm. 100 years ago, if I was a doctor with my hand, you were the patient. You come to me. We lived in the same neighborhood. We, you know, I knew about your family and so on. And I rendered my care toward you like that. Mm-hmm. Over the past hundred years, this space has been filled with about 20 intermediaries. Mm-hmm. Now what the hospitals have done over the past 30 years, this trend started in 1980s. They go and hire the primary care. And these are my examples. As a board member, I'll go and hire a group of five primary care. Say, hello, doctors. Welcome to our system. These are your salaries. These are your bonuses. Two weeks later, I'll show up with a couple of MBAs or administrators. Say, doctors, 
your numbers don't match the money we want to generate. They said, what do you mean? I said, you can't just see 20, 25 patients a day. You need to start seeing 40, 50, 60 patients a day. They said, well, but we can't take care of them. They said, you don't need to really take care of a lot of issues. For example, a woman comes in with a little blood in their urine. We call mm. it hematuria. And that's my field. You don't need to treat them right with antibiotics. Send them to me. So I can do a cystoscopy. I can do a CT urogram. I can, because yeah. as the chair of a large department, every month, every Monday morning, my job was look at the number of my doctors and see mm. how much clinical volume they've generated how many MRIs they've ordered, how many surgeries they've done. Because at the end of the month, I had to go and report that to my to my boss, the CEO of the hospital. Yeah. So these 5,000 financial institutions called hospitals, they basically use the clinical volume, the sick care services, mm-hmm. as a revenue-generating opportunity. And the doctors that they have hired, right, they have really unlimited, uh, unlimited authority to order as much as they want. That's the first misalignment. Okay. The second misalignment is this third-party payer. Mm. So let's say you're working for an employer or one of your audience, uh, you know, listeners, they have a company, they have 100 employees. This 100 employees cost this year is a million dollar and next year becomes $2 million. The insurance company doesn't have a spend out of their own money. Next year, they're going to come to that employer and say, listen, your cost has gone up. I'm going to increase your rate by 30, 40, 50%. So the third party payer is paying for this waste out of mm. the pocket of the employer and mm. frankly, out of the pocket of the employee because the employer, employees are making the money for the employee. Yeah. That is the second, second misalignment. The third misalignment is this, basically the morale hazard I explained that we as consumers, we have an insurance card, whether it's a Medicare or is, you know, one of the commercial insurance. We mm-hmm. think that is the what, what it says on the card. That's the limited uh, limit, basically the ceiling of my liability. Mm-hmm. If I pay a deductible is, you know, 2000 or 3000 I have become insensitive to total cost of care. Whereas, mm-hmm. again, I present in the book, you can have an MRI within five miles radius, you pay $4,000, you can pay $300 in every market. There's about 1,500% price variability in all the services that we are uh, providing. You can have a knee replacement for $15,000 total, or you would pay between 50 to $75,000. Wow, that's such a disparity in price. I mean, even when I go to my vet and that's driving me crazy yeah. when my, my dog needed uh, an MRI, they're like, yeah, sure. Down the street, 2,500. I'm like, what? <laughs> we just want to look at his back and see how he's doing. I was like, you know, I don't have that right now to put down on the table. Unlike, but, um, yeah. Unlike people care, they don't have yeah. insurance. So it's either put the money on the table but, or walk but, out. But yeah. But the fact yeah. is, the vet actually is very transparent. Tells yeah. you what the total cost that is. That is true. Yeah. In in the health insurance, mm-hmm. you think that all you're paying is twenty five dollars. You think only you're paying, you know, three hundred dollars for MRI. No. Mm-mm. At the end, your employer or whoever is sponsoring your insurance is paying the four thousand dollars or fifty thousand dollars for that surgery. It is just invisible to you. You see the difference? That's yes. a misalignment. Yeah, total misalignment. Yeah, and, and also what what's happened, and I've seen it with people that have talked to me that they will work in a place, they'll pay insurance down, their employer will play on top of that. 
And then if the insurance said, well, we're not going to cover that, we don't feel it was necessary because they're insurance people and not doctors and they feel like they can right. make that call. They'll say to the patient, okay, now you owe an additional 2000 even though That's we right. took from the That's employer right. 6000 I'm like, what? Right. So it's run, no. run amok. But how do you see, where do you envision a, a, so a better care? The, yeah. the, sol the solution is first start fixing the misalignments. And it is fixable without the act of Congress. Oh, I like that. First thing for First thing first is um, fix the misalignment between the doctor and the patient. There are, and uh, more than 90% of people needs this primary care, scientifically. Mm -hmm. First thing first, and this is the movement has started over the past 10 years or so, rather than the primary care, the family physician being an employee of the hospital, that their job is to keep referring to the hospital, their job is to keep, you know, uh, I call them a referral machine. Yeah is paid by the individual. Mm -hmm. It's called a direct primary care. It's a subscription model. Mm, and like I'm that. making an example. You pay $100 per month, like mm -hmm. you pay for your cell phone to a, to a primary care. Mm -hmm. And that primary care becomes the point of, basically becomes your primary care. And his or her alignment is totally with you. He's not mm. going to make more money than referring you to the hospital. Mm. Right? He becomes your the quarterback of your health. Ooh, That's like number one. That. Yeah. Number two is this primary care because the doctors, you know, are not trained and also their time is expensive. That is the concept of the health guardianship. Mm -hmm. Equip this doctor with nurses, medical assistants, and other medical health professionals who basically are aware of these price uh, differences in the market. They're aware of the unnecessary care. So they become your guardian. So when you have a need, right? You call that primary care that has a guardian. The guardian says, Christina, you, these are, this is really, you don't, uh, you know, I have a, a knee pain, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. These are the things that, you know, the scientifically shows that the physical therapy probably in some of the knee pain is as more effective than surgery. Mm -hmm. When you go to an orthopedic surgery, he's a surgeon. He makes yeah. his money out of making sur surgery, right? Yeah. He's biased by nature. Mm -hmm. regardless of how good of a doctor or how good of a person he is, right? Mm -hmm. Someone who has the professional training and your trust and financial is aligned with you to help you to make better decisions in health. Mm -hmm. And when you need that MRI, telling you, Christina, and these are true examples. There is an MRI. If you go to this hospital, you're going to pay $4,000. If you go to this independent facility, you're going to pay $250,000. Wow, what a difference. That's what it, that is the second part of it. So we call it the care teams that are made of mm -hmm. primary care physician, health guardians. And then this team can really become the guardian and mitigator of your health risk. By the mm -hmm. way, says Christina, I think maybe you're a little bit overweight. In the physical therapy, if you go and reduce your weight, and these are the things I can do with you. So the entire yeah. attention of the care team is on the left side of the bow tie. Yeah. To help you to remain healthy. Yeah. And you work in tangent with the patient. Exactly. As a partner. Exactly. Yeah. In now, partner. In partnership. Now, I would love to keep going on and on, but we're about to yeah. be cut off soon. Okay. So I don't want us to be cut off without everyone sure. finding out how they can find out more about you. Get a copy of your book, Healthcare Guardianship, The Remedy to the Sick Care System. Um, how can they do that? Oh, it's available on the Amazon. Cool. And I'm I'm available on LinkedIn. I have a the tweet called FD Bowtie. 
but the health guardianship, the remedy to the sick care system is available on Amazon. And uh, my contact information is on LinkedIn. I love to hear from uh, especially the employers, because at the end of the day, I feel the employers, not I feel, I know for a fact, the employers are the ones who are paying for this. Yeah, a majority of it. And it keeps yeah. going up. Yeah. yeah. And when you want to hire good talent, you got to look at you're not only paying Absolutely. them the salary, you're then paying right. for all the and and employers, employees right. expect yeah. and want that. Now, you also have another website, WCWHA.com. What is that? Is that your podcast? So I, yeah, it's, I started the podcast explaining some of these concepts. As you could see, some of them are complex and to explain it in yeah. case studies and so forth. Yeah. And the title of the podcast is Why Can't We Have It All? Because that's really my final point. Mm -hmm. I think with the brain power we have in this country and the innovations and so forth, we will be able to build the next model of the healthcare out of the existing secure system. And that's why I call it Why Can't We Have It All? There are a couple of missing items. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Dr. Danasheri, I just have to thank you again for all the awesome work you're doing out there. I'm really hoping we can pivot and get all healthcare practitioners and doctors and nurses to see the benefits of an actual healthcare system instead of working through the parameters of a sick care system. Thank you again for coming to Savvy Broadcasting. My pleasure. Thank you for inviting me. You betcha. Like, subscribe, and share this episode. To listen to more savvy episodes and savvy biz tips, go to www.lifeunscriptedradio.com. To find out about our paid sponsorship opportunities or how to become a guest, email Christina at lifeunscriptedradio.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.